0: Good. Well, it's um, good to be with you again uh, on Monday, Thursday. It's always a, a, a very um, moving time. I think uh, this part of Holy Week, as we come towards the climax of uh, the events of Holy Week, um, probably the most solemn and the most uh, awe-inspiring uh, week in the whole of the, the Christian calendar. Uh, We begin, of course, don't we, on on, um, Palm Sunday with all the noise and all the tumult and all the the waving of the palms and the strewing of the clothes and uh, the shouting of Hosanna to the Son of David and so on. Great, noisy, triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But within just a few short days, all that turns to dust and ashes. And we begin to think, to turn our minds that way as we come to the meal that Jesus and his disciples shared uh, on that Thursday night. It's a very solemn and it's a very poignant time. And, and it's a time when Jesus actually uh, is very intimate with his close followers. The crowds have all gone now. They're not just, uh, not all the crowds, they're not the thousands who followed him, not the, the hundreds who listened to him and uh, begged him to be their savior. Uh, Now it is just the 12 that are with him, sharing that intimate moment in the upper room. In fact, there are a whole series of intimate moments. And in fact, if I wanted to give a a title to this sermon, I think I might call it Intimate Moments. Because there are three of them that I want to think about this evening. I want to think about the intimate moments that Jesus shared with his disciples over that meal. And the significance of that meal in particular. I want to think also of the intimate moments... That Jesus shared with his disciples as he took a towel and draped it around his waist, dropped to his knees, and washed the disciples' feet. I want us to think about the significance of that for a few moments. And then something that wasn't in our reading, but something that we know about from other parts of the Gospels. Another intimate moment, but this time uh, a reversed intimate moment. And that was the kiss with which he was betrayed In the garden of Gethsemane. Well first of all. Let's think about the meal. This is going to be the last time. That Jesus is with his close followers. With the twelve. Now I, I suppose Jesus must have shared hundreds if not thousands of other meals with his disciples as he went around Galilee as he went on the journey to Jerusalem they must have stopped to eat well we know they did we know that uh, there were several times when Jesus uh, uh, you know said go and get some food uh, there were times when thousands were there and he had compassion on the crowds and he said well how are we going to feed these uh, this many of course he knew how he was going to do it but he was kind of testing his uh, his, his disciples But this one last meal that he shares with them is really very special indeed. Not only is it the last meal, but it is also the one which was a celebration of the Passover. Now, meals were hugely important in the time of Jesus. Much more so than uh, they are today. Of course, meals are important today, aren't they? We all need to eat Uh, Some of us are eating less than we used to. Uh, I certainly am, as you can probably tell. I've lost a stone in weight in the last six weeks, which is rather good. Uh, uh, (laughs) Nothing wrong, by the way, just I'm trying to be careful. But uh, we all need to eat because we need to survive. We need to have nourishment so that we can maintain our daily living. We need to eat. But there's something special when we eat together with friends of course we know today don't we that um, actually um, meals are you know fast food really aren't they you know you go to the shops you go to the uh, supermarket you get a ready made meal you stick it in the microwave you sit down well if you sit down you may be even eating it on the move uh, and uh, certainly some families i know actually will all have their food but they'll go to their different rooms to watch different televisions whilst they're eating it but in the time of jesus there wasn't any television, at least that's one thing. But in the time of Jesus, meals were hugely significant because it was not just a time of uh, of sharing food together. It was a bonding time. What did you do when you ate? You spent a long time eating, and you spent a long time sharing your lives with one another. It was hugely important. And that's why hospitality is at the very heart of uh, of the Christian faith. We share hospitality with one another so that we can get to know each other get to know each other well deeply and have that kind of deep fellowship with one another well jesus has gathered with his disciples to have this last meal together it is a time for talking and sharing it's a time for him leaving them with the the one great last lesson that he wants them to learn and we'll come on to that in just a moment or two or two. But this is also a Passover meal. Uh, and uh, as it says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Elsewhere in the Gospels, it says quite often that certain things didn't happen because Jesus' hour had not yet come. Have you ever noticed that? Time and time again, it says his hour had not yet come. But now, he says, his hour has come. Jesus says, knowing that his hour has come, knowing that it's within a few hours he is going to be taken and nailed to a cross and eke out his lifeblood on that cross. But in the context of the meal in which they were having this, it's really important because Jesus is actually indicating that the Passover... His death will take place during the Passover, and he himself will be the sacrificial lamb. Remember what his cousin John had said when he'd gone for his baptism? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was to take away the sins of the world, to make atonement for the sins of the world, to be a propitiation. We shouldn't be afraid of that word. Some people are embarrassed by the word propitiation. It means that by his death, the anger of God against, the righteous anger of God against sinfulness was turned away because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now that's the significance of the time of year. Jesus was to lay down his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And that's where... That's why we call tomorrow Good Friday. People often say, why is it good when Jesus died on the cross? How can it be good, an awful thing to call it? Good Friday, bad Friday, surely? No, because through his death, you and I are able to have life and life in all its fullness and life eternally with God our Father. That's why it is good. It was not good for Jesus, but it was certainly good for us because it is through his his humble service, through his humility, through his obedience to the Father's will that he made atonement for the sins of the world. Well, that's the meal. That's the context in which uh, we find this. And, of course, later on Jesus will say, Uh, about the bread and the wine that is taken, and as we share bread and wine this evening, that the bread and the wine represent his body and his blood. And when we come to a commemoration meal like this, that's what we are told to do. We are told to remember the death of Christ. Remember the efficacious death of Christ, because it achieved something which was really important in the world. Well that's the meal. Let's look then at the um the, the, the famous foot washing uh incident during the meal. I, I read um uh, uh this evening that the Queen today has been in uh Oxford, I think it is. Uh, where she's been uh, not actually washing the feet, but giving out the Maundy money. It used to be the case that kings and queens of England used to actually physically wash the feet of of their subjects on Maundy Thursday. Well, they don't do that anymore. But it was a sign, it is a symbolic sign of the humility and the service which uh, rulers... Oh, to those who are their subjects. Now, you know the story well enough, don't you? For some strange reason, it may well be that Jesus had arranged it this way. But for some strange reason, there was no Gentile slave on hand to wash the feet of the disciples. Now, this was absolutely necessary, not just as a matter of, uh, of, um, of, of ritual, Of ritual purity, but it was also necessary because of simple hygiene. In the days in uh, in Israel, when you are walking the dusty roads of Israel, uh, your feet are gonna get dusty, they're gonna get sweaty, they're gonna get smelly. And when you come to a meal, that's not what you want to have in your face. And it was necessary to do this, but it was the job of a slave to do this. Notice I said a Gentile slave. Because not even a Jewish slave was uh, w- w- was regarded as being uh, able to do this job. Uh, it was uh, too menial even for a Jewish slave. So it was a Gentile slave that it was reserved for. And for some reason, there hadn't been anybody on hand to do it. So the meal starts. The disciples, I suspect, must have looked around in uh, sort of embarrassment saying, well... What are we going to do? Well, we better have the meal then. There's nobody here to do it. It never entered their heads to do it themselves. But the meal begins. During the meal, Jesus gets up and he wraps that towel around his waist and he drops to his knees and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, this is just too much for Simon Peter, as you well know. You know the story well enough, don't you? Simon Peter says, what, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You know, this was unheard of. The master washing the feet of the disciple? No, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, quite pointedly, well, unless I wash your feet, then you will have no part with me. You will not share fellowship with me unless I do this for you. And then Peter swings to the other (laughs) extreme and he says, well, wash all of me then. No, no, that's not necessary. Now, what is Jesus doing here? He's not just laying down a pattern of behavior that the disciples are to follow, although he does that and he says, though, later on in that chapter. But he's also doing something else. And his reply to Peter should give us the clue to that. Unless I do this for you, you will have no part with me. Well, that's rather an extreme reaction, isn't it? Jesus is using this as a symbolism for the fact that he is going to lay down his life on the cross. And unless you accept the cleansing that comes through the death of Christ, then you will have no part with me. Now, that's true. Of all of us, it's true today, isn't it? That the cleansing that Jesus brought to us on the cross brings us life, and there is no salvation without that. Now, we find this very difficult uh, on different levels, don't we? The whole foot washing incident, I mean, we find this very difficult to accept. Has anybody ever washed your feet? I get very embarrassed if I have the, at the very thought of anybody washing my feet. Uh, I, I was diagnosed with um, diabetes a couple of years ago and I have to see a podiatrist every, few of, every so often to check my feet, the, the, um, the, the, um, the, the nerves and so on. But I don't feel embarrassed when I do it. There's something very uh, intimate about one's feet and I don't like anybody else touching my feet. And yet... Jesus touches the feet of his disciples. It's an intimate action. And going beyond that to the more symbolic thing of actually accepting Jesus' death on the cross. Accepting it in the sense of trusting in it. Trusting that when he died on the cross, he made that atonement for the sins of the world. And therefore, we are able to have that new life in him. Well, that's hard too, isn't it? Because it means that we have to accept the fact that we can't do it for ourselves. We spend our lives trying to make ourselves acceptable to God. And we know that we will never do it. We will never reach the standard acceptable to a holy and loving God. And yet the message that Jesus says is that he has done it for us. Jesus has made atonement for the sins of the whole world, all of us. And the only thing we have to do is to trust in him. It's both the most easy thing in the world and the hardest thing in the world. It's easy to trust him. That's all we have to do. But it's also hard because none of us like to trust anybody else totally. We don't like to trust ourselves into other person's hands, do we? We like to keep a bit of control ourselves. And yet, what God calls us to is to put ourselves wholly in the hands of the Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus gives us a pattern that we are to follow. Uh, Later on, when he goes back to the table and he says to the disciples, do you know what I've just done for you? And, uh, uh, Um, he then tells them, just as I, your teacher and Lord, have done this for you, so you are to do it for one another. You are to wash one another's feet. I've given you a pattern. This is a template, if you like, of what you are to do. Now, Um, I gather that... um, You know, the queen has uh, been uh, giving uh, the Maundy money today. But in the days when the kings used to wash the feet of uh, of, uh, certain of the subjects, it was a sign of their humility and service. But, of course, it wasn't really, was it? They were still king. And if the subjects did anything uh, against them, then they would lose their heads more likely than not. But Jesus says, you are to wash the feet of each other. What does that mean? It means that we have to do the dirty things of the world. The things that nobody else will do. Getting up in the middle of the night to look after somebody who is sick or dying. Going out of our way to forfeit our own personal time in order to help somebody else real things not just symbolic but real things because Jesus did real things well the meal the foot washing and finally what well, we didn't read about but we know about from the gospel reading the kiss in the garden jesus betrays sorry judas betrays jesus with that most intimate of actions a kiss the kiss of peace, you know, in those days was really significant and important. It wasn't just something symbolic. It was it was an expression of very deep uh, fellowship and connection. And it was a sign of, of loving kindness that people shared together. Do you know... Jesus had already washed Judas's feet. Do you notice that in the reading? That he washed the feet of all of them. No exception. He knew that G- Judas was going to betray him. And yet that didn't stop him from washing the feet of the betrayer. Judas comes to the garden and he kisses the cheek of Jesus to show the gods, who he was. Now, why did he do it? Well, it's easy to say because of 30 pieces of silver. I don't believe that. You know the theory that I've had. I've told you uh, several times before, I'm sure. Uh, I think that Judas did it, although this is only a, a sort of a, um, conjecture on my part. I think Judas did it to try and provoke Jesus into raising up an army to throw out the Romans and to establish the kingdom. I don't think Judas did it for 30 pieces of silver somebody he shared such deep fellowship with for 3 years i think that he tried to provoke jesus and when he realized that it had all backfired on him that jesus actually wasn't going to resist arrest and uh, and raise a rebellion i think judas realized what had happened that's why he goes out and kills himself. But that's not what the scriptures tell us. That's just purely James Clark. So it may well be uh, rubbish. So don't take it as, a, a, as gospel at all. But that kiss is hugely significant. Jesus is betrayed with a kiss. I wonder if we think today how that might occur in our society, in our church Maybe. Do we betray Jesus with a kiss? Do we, you know, say, Lord, Lord, I'm yours. I'll do anything for you. But then, when the time comes, withdraw. Yes, we will praise him and kiss him, metaphorically. But actually, when the time comes to obey him, do we resist and draw back? Well, Maundy Thursday, the last meal, the foot washing, and the kiss. From there, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And we know what his prayer was. The agony in the garden. I don't know if you've um, been to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, just across the Kidron Valley from uh, the city of Jerusalem, uh, it's still there, um, smaller than one thought. But uh, when I was there last, I picked up a, a piece of a thorn bush that happened to be growing there. We think of thorns as being, you know, little things that uh, that we catch our fingers on in this country. The thorns there were great, big things that big. Those thorns were the thorns that adorned the brow. Of our saviour. And we know that his prayer was. Father. If this cup. Can be taken from me. Let it be so. But not my will. But your will. Yes how we can. Sympathise. Empathise with him there. Just on the point. when knowing that all that was going to come his way. Within the next 24 hours. Yet he says not my will. But your will be done. And thank God he did. Because if Jesus had wavered at that point, and if he had withdrawn and said, no, no, I'm not going to go to the cross, then you and I would have been lost forever. Thank God he had the courage, the sheer human courage, to go through with that to the cross well, tomorrow we'll be thinking about that. We sang at the beginning of the service, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It's my favorite English hymn. I'll say it that way. Um, uh, Do you know that um, Charles Wesley said that, uh, Charles Wesley wrote about 9,000 poems, but um, uh, three, I think at least 3,000 were made into hymns. But he said he'd have given up all The hymns he'd ever written if he could have had the privilege of writing that one hymn by Isaac Watts. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride.